Scripture reading this morning is going to be found in Exodus chapter 19. Starting in verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the, Lord, of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like, of light, the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord God called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you may be wondering why in the world is Scott reading from Exodus this, this morning? Thought we were coming out of Hebrews. Um, yes. In order to gain an understanding for this morning's text in Hebrews, I had to give you the context of the, of the comparison that, Moses, or that the author of Hebrews is going to make in this final section of chapter 12. This is the last comparison. And we see in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is demonstrated as the greater and, and the author of Hebrews has magnificently, brilliantly used these different comparisons throughout the book to, to demonstrate the high priesthood of Christ. And he is the greatest, the ultimate high priest. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Levite, Levitical priesthood. His tabernacle is a better tabernacle. His temple's the better temple. His sacrifice was the far superior sacrifice. His role as the high priest was better than anybody had ever served as high priest before him. Jesus Christ is the ultimate. Today, we're going to see a rather odd comparison. A comparison of two different mountains. Two different mountains. And you're like, but how does that link up and, and, and work with this idea of Jesus being the greater high priest? Great question. I'm so glad you asked very astutely. Well, let's dive into this and look at this this morning. Okay? The first thing we're seeing here in Hebrews chapter 12, and if you don't have your Bibles open there, I really, 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 and a and, and hundred more reallys, encourage you to open them up um, and read along with us as we study this text this morning. If you are okay with writing in your Bible, I would really, really encourage you, another bunch of reallys, to underline, 
right here in verse 18, for you have not. And circle that word not. Underline that word not. For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given them. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The author of Hebrews is starting this comparison out by something that we don't come to. This is not what we come to. The early writers, Moses, writes of this scene for Mount Sinai. It's a terrifying scene. How many of y'all have ever spent time like in the Rocky Mountains or up high in the mountains and a storm rolls in and you hear the lightning crashing like for forever and it echoes through and the winds kick up and all of a sudden that little bit of nervousness starts to, to and these clouds just seem to and the storm comes in so fast and with such fury in the mountains. And as, as great and as powerful as these storms are, it compels in comparison to the Almighty God descending upon Mount Sinai. And the people of God, have, it's like he, Moses had to set up this perimeter. He had to go out and set up that do not cross caution tape all the way around Mount Sinai. Because if the people of God said, man, I just want to get closer to God and touch that mountain, it was their death penalty if they did. They couldn't go anywhere. It was holy, consecrated, sacred ground. And one man and one man alone, Israel's mediator, Moses, was able to go up to that mountain. But it was a terrifying sight. It was a sight where in which the law was given. If you're an Israelite and you're studying this passage, you can't help but think of this passage and the wrath of God. When Moses went up and he's up there for a while and the Israelites start freaking out going, oh, Moses is gone. Like, what did we worship again in Egypt? We, we want those things that we can see, those things that we can touch. Moses is gone. God has forsaken us. Let's go back to worshiping the things that we could see and we could touch. Back that we worship, that, that, that the Egyptians worshiped. And, and so they had Aaron shaped for them a golden calf. And one of the most incredible statements in the scriptures made by Aaron when, when confronted by Moses. Like, I just threw the gold in and the calf just jumped out. God was angry with the people of Israel. That whole scene on Mount Sinai invokes all of these thoughts that surround that time. Moses coming down off the mountain and, and having the stone tablets in his hand and seeing the rebellion of the people throwing them down and breaking them. And a wonderful, and just a, a powerful picture that right before they heard, God had just giving them the law, and here they were breaking the law. And as the stone tablets hit the ground, shattering just a powerful picture of exactly what was taking place. The book of Hebrews has made it clear that there's a new covenant established through this great high priest, Jesus Christ. It's the better covenant. It's the covenant that supersedes the old covenant. It's the covenant that fulfills the old covenant. Because it's fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for us. And so the author of Hebrews makes it very clear that's the mountain of the old covenant. That's the imagery of the old covenant. And this is what the law left you with. The law left you with a mountain that was terrifying. A mountain that could not be touched that was unapproachable. A mountain of blazing fire which represented God's wrath and condemnation for sin and man's inability 
to be fully obedient to the law. Darkness. Representing the fact that sin was not removed by the law. Gloom. Hope was lost in the law. Hope wasn't gained. All the hope does, or the Old Testament, the old, excuse me, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law that was written by Moses for the people, it pointed out that you cannot come to God on your own. You cannot obey God perfectly. You will fail. You are a sinner. In Romans, it makes it very clear that the law demonstrates that we're all sinners. We're all broken. And we're all in desperate need of the sacrifice of God so that we can have our sins washed away. This imagery on the Mount Sinai, had God not replaced this imagery with something else in Jesus Christ, it would have left us in complete darkness and gloom. The whirlwind surrounded the mountain, a pointless spin cycle journey. The blast of a trumpet I can't help but think of the blast of a trumpet in our coming Revelation series. And what we'll, as we dive into that and think about that, but the, the reminder of the terrifying end. I noticed this. God's voice does not bring them comfort, but terrifies. It screams to them they are guilty. They are unable to save themselves. This is the mountain that we have not come to. This is the mountain of the Old Testament law. This is the mountain of religiosity. This is the mountain of legalism. This is the mountain of moralism. And upon this mountain, we're left in darkness, gloom, and hopelessness. And God's voice doesn't bring comfort, but terrifies. This is the mountain we, we struggle with. This is the mountain we struggle because we want to keep approaching that mountain. Because in our relationship with God, we still want to say to him, but there's got to be something I can do to deserve this. There's got to be these rules that I've got to follow. And there's got to be these things that I must do to please you. And Jesus, God is saying, there's nothing you can do to please me. But faith alone in Jesus Christ is the only thing that can bring us to this other mountain that he's going to describe in a minute. That is not the mountain that we approach. Instead, the author makes this wonderful comparison Starting in verse 22, he says, but you, and again, if you feel good with underlining and writing in your Bibles, I highly encourage it, circle that big but. This is a huge contrast. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and to the and the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthralled in heaven, enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What a powerful comparison. Gloom and doom on this side. But over here, the author of Hebrews saying, if you are a child of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that's not the mountain that you're being called to go climb. That's not the mountain that you're supposed to go enjoy. This is the mountain you're supposed to enjoy. And as we look at the comparison, there were seven things that was mentioned about the gloom and doom mountain. And there are seven things that are mentioned here regarding this mountain. As we were getting this sermon together, I couldn't help but laugh as I did not intentionally line up the sermons this way. It was just a God thing. The last week we were talking about peace as an Advent celebration. And the text that we were going through last week, the first part of 12, as we looked at the discipline of the Lord and what does the discipline of the Lord bring but peace. To his children. 
when we properly understand God's discipline, it brings peace. Well, this morning, this idea of coming to this mountain should create in us incredible joy. Joy that we are part of in this inclusive city of the living God. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that the dividing wall of hostility was destroyed by Jesus Christ. And what that dividing wall of hostility was, it was this barrier between Gentile and Jew. And the Gentiles couldn't enter in because they were Gentiles. And they first must, underneath the Old Testament law, they had to get circumcised. They had to get, become proselytes and go through these, these series of rituals to become part of the Jewish religion. But when Jesus comes, he blows up this wall. And the word that is used there to, about this wall, and I've talked about this a lot because, you know, being a military guy, I like things that go boom. And, and like, here's this wall. And God, you know, packs in some TNT on the wall, a little nitroglycerin, and he sets that up. And if that wasn't enough, then he rolls in the Abrams tank and he blows it up then. And then they've got artillery rounds coming in and destroy. So that when, that when you look back at the picture, there's nothing between the Gentile people and the Jewish people because Jesus has said these things are no longer distinguishing things. There is one body in Jesus Christ, one Lord, one Father, one God. And in Jesus Christ, he destroyed this thing so the two shall become one. And so now, it doesn't matter if you're Gentile, Jew. It doesn't matter what part of the world you're from. If you're from Asia, or you're from Africa, or if you're from Australia, or North America, South America, even if you're somehow from Antarctica, it doesn't matter anymore. Because this mountain is about one city, and in that one city has one ruler, Jesus Christ. That's our city. That's the city that matters. And he's saying, I have taken you who were once far, and I've brought you near, and I've brought you into this city. For those who have faith in Jesus Christ, you're part of this city. And what a powerful message we need to hear today. Inclusive. And for those who are in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter about gender. It doesn't matter about race. And all that matters is that for those who are in Jesus Christ get to be part of this city. And this city is engaged upon how much wealth you have, your power in the community, your role in politics. All of that disappears in this city. There's peace, there's hope, there's joy, there's love found in this city who's governed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the joy of being part of this city. He goes on to say, and then what a great, great picture here. There's this joy of myriads of angels in festal assembly. Brothers and sisters, this is a party going on. Don't miss this. He is describing like there's this, there's these angels that are around the throne of God celebrating God and we get to become part of this huge gathering and this joyful celebration of who God is, what he is doing, and we get to be part of this incredible party. We're not worried about gloom and doom over here. We're not worried about being under the law. We've been set free. We get to celebrate. And it really bothers me that Christians stink so bad at celebrating. <laughs> like, this is Christmas. Like, this is New Year's. Like, have a party. Invite people over. Celebrate what God's done. Put God on display and say, you know what? We got to do a better job at celebrating God. Because of what we experience now, we can experience this city partially now. Someday we'll get to experience it fully later. We get to experience this joy of not, we don't see the angels right now, but we get to see the result of their work as they are ministering spirits to the saints. This is exciting that we get to be part of this incredible celebration. He also says that there's this joy of the church who is the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Now, what's very interesting about the terminology in the original language 
is that word for enrolled is the same word that is used for Joseph. When Joseph went to register, and and I want to give you a little bit of background on that and understand that a little bit. So the reason Joseph would have had to go and register with Mary is Herod, who is a half-Jew, half-Gentile ruler appointed by the Roman people to govern that region. And he says, you know what? We need more money in the coffers. We need to raise taxes. And so he has people come and register. And the registration process would have included how many sheep do you have? How many goats do you have? How many kids do you have? How many, you know, how many wives do you have? All that stuff, right? Back then, you know, that was the thing, right? You know, culturally. And, And then all these things taking place. And they would have registered all this information so that Herod could then in turn charge them more taxes and take more money from them. Money that they didn't have. So he could line his own pockets. This registration process would have been an evil thing. Would have been a horrific thing. Joseph would have had to pay more taxes in light of this registry. But here, we don't have to go and get registered. God registers our names in his book and he paid the penalty for us to be registered. Amen. That, that, that shouldn't create us incredible joy. I didn't have to make you, there's nothing, there's no payment you can bring to be enrolled into the books of heaven. Christ did it on our behalf and we're enrolled in the book of heaven. We have this incredible celebration. Like, that's where I'm enrolled. That's where my name's written. And that should bring us incredible joy, incredible hope that here's this mountain that just keeps adding to the joy and adding to the joy. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. That someday Jesus is going to say, like it blows my mind, Jeremy Scott Moore's. Like, what? Like, who am I to have my name read by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That's what it looks like for us to be enrolled. Oh, there should be this joy. Joy of a judge who is God of all. Listen, I hope that we can celebrate that God is the ultimate judge. I hope you can celebrate that. I know that center portion side of us struggles with that a little bit because there's a little bit of healthy fear. Amen. Okay, amen. Having a good healthy fear and awe of God is a good thing. But we should be able to look at God as the judge and say, praise be to God, he is the judge because he is righteous and he is holy and his judgment is perfect. He will never judge in a way that is anything but in line with his character. His holy, his perfect character. That's how he judges. You can't pay God off. You can't slip him a little bribe. And and so that, hey, we're going to let you get by with this sin. God says, no, I hate sin. Absolutely abhor it. And that will never change. So get on my sheet of music, God says. Thank goodness he doesn't adjust to us. Thank goodness he remains pure, he remains holy, and he's righteous. And so we should celebrate God is judge. Hallelujah. And praise be to him. There's also this incredible joy of Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. I think back to the book of Joshua, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, and how devastated the Israelite people were that Moses was dead. Like three different times in the beginning of Joshua. I mean, you got Deuteronomy closing with Moses is dead. Talk about a downer of a way to end a book. Like, Moses is dead. And then what happens? We come into Joshua. Moses is dead. But God then says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. 
I am so glad that we will never have to say our mediator is gone. Our mediator has stopped mediating. Because that's what Moses represented to the people of Israel, the mediator between God and them. How devastating it had to have been to lose their mediator. We never will. Our mediator is eternal. Will never stop. He will never cease. He is the mediator from now until eternity. That is our king. That is our Lord. And it should bring us such comfort and such hope and such joy. The seventh thing that he talks about here is that there should be such joy because of the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries out. What does it cry for? Justice. Christ's blood cries out with redemption. The justice has been met. The penalty has been paid. That the sprinkling of Jesus' blood satisfies the wrath of God. So that we may be called his children. So that Abel's cries can be silenced. And fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His blood is the greater blood. We have incredible joy as we come to this mountain. And the author of Hebrews goes on to say here in verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The imagery in the story here, as we were studying this in sermon chat this week, the rebellion at Korah came to my mind. And if you don't recall this story, it, it was one of those stories that would have taken place while the Israelites were had exodus, had left Egypt, had crossed over the Red Sea, and were traveling, were doing that time in the wilderness. And, and Korah rebelled up against Moses. And Moses warned Korah, if these folks didn't listen to the guy that was on earth, how much greater judgment do you think is going to happen if you've been warned from heaven and don't listen? And what happened to those wonderful individuals? The earth shook, opened up, and they were boom, swallowed up by the earth. And then the consuming fire of God consumed all those that were burning bad incense before the Lord. Wow, that's a really close picture to what is taking place here. Like he's saying, listen, God hasn't brought you to this mountain. He's brought you to this mountain. But if you reject this mountain, the incredible joy that's found on this mountain, what's waiting for you? This mountain. Duh! Right? It's like with our kids. Like, if you don't do this, this is going to be your consequence. Fine, I'm not doing it. Well, this is your consequence. And then they want to be mad because that's their consequence. Well, that's us. That's us. God is saying, here's this incredible, joyful place that I have created for you to experience now and for all of eternity. Why do you keep going to this mountain, you knucklehead? But what God is saying here is like the right response. The right response to this incredible joy that I have brought for you to experience now to, as you encounter this place with me. Because what, is, what has Hebrews said? Over and over again, we have this great and merciful high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses and yet he is without sin. And we are to enter the throne room of God in our hour of need. And how many times has the author of Hebrews said, draw near, draw near. 
come close. Like all of this imagery paints this wonderful picture of a relationship with the Almighty God, His church, His family in relationship with Him, experiencing this incredible joy in Him. I mean, God paints this incredible picture of what life in Him looks like. And it is absolutely amazing. And the right response, the right response to this, He says here, Therefore, another one of these summarizing statements, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. What's, what's the first response? Gratitude. Gratefulness. A grateful heart. Thank you, God, that that's not my mountain. Something that can't be touched. Are you kidding me? You want me to walk into your throne room? Jesus said to Thomas in his doubt, Thomas, come touch my hands. Come touch my side. A God that we can draw near to and be in relationship with a God who's always with us, who meets all of our needs, provides for us this incredible place to be a part of, this incredible joy to experience. And so it should only make sense that if he's given us this place of incredible joy, that gratitude should fill our hearts. And I'm going to be really just honest with you this morning. I want to be honest with you in a way that says, that doesn't go, uh, yeah, or poor Pastor Scott, or we really need to focus on Scott, Pastor Scott's problems. But rather, I want to challenge you to think introspectively as well, in that I have struggled with what it looks like to have gratitude and joy yes. in the midst of some things that I've just gone through lately. Yeah. And I've hurt so much. And I'm talking with my son last night, and he says to me, but dad, you can't know joy without knowing suffering. You can't know joy without hurt. And I needed to hear that last night. I didn't stop my struggle. <laughs> You see, joy isn't frivolous laughter and everything's fine. That's not joy. Joy's in the midst of, of the heartache and the pain and seeing so many hurt. I've got to go to my dear sister's house this week. And she had it so wonderfully decorated for Christmas. And I'm standing in her kitchen. And I realized she put up all those decorations by herself because her husband's with Jesus. And it hurts. She misses him. She loves him. And she would love to be celebrating Christmas with him, but She's putting up the decorations. She's not hiding away. She's going to go be with family and love on them. And she has joy. She is filled with joy in the midst of her pain. And I would say she knows better of joy than even I do. Because she's traveled that road and she's leaned into Jesus and says, Jesus, you've got to be my joy, my comfort, and my peace. Thank you for teaching me what joy looks like. It goes on to say one more thing. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. 
acceptable worship. This, is, this word we've come across before in the book of Hebrews. It's the same word that we discover in Romans chapter 12. And this word lutria, which, which, which means acceptable worship, it also carries with it service and servitude. And that we work at our worship in such a way that it is always pleasing to God and not glorifying to ourselves. We know who God is and we want to please him with our lives. We know who God is. We want to obey him. And we want to worship him with everything we have. And again, you know, it's, it's my pet peeve because so many times we, 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 we take worship and we put it in this tiny little box called Sunday morning. It breaks my heart because the Bible makes it very clear that worship is 24-7. Worship is every day, all day. We're always worshiping. We were made to worship. Worship isn't just here. Now, we worship God through music. We worship God through preaching. We worship God through giving. We worship God in a myriad of different ways during this time. But worship doesn't start and end upon this service. In fact, the reason we gather together on a Sunday morning is to train you up to be better worshipers the rest of the week. And what's very interesting, he says, why conclude this at the end here? With reverence and awe for our God as a consuming fire. What, what is it? Is this just a, a comment for us to be shaken in our boots every time we think about God? No, I want you to have a correct understanding that your worship is going to be burned someday. Your worship is going to go through, pass through the fire, the, the testing of God. And worship that's done for ourselves or selfish motivation or for to make ourselves look good in front of others will be consumed and there will be nothing left. But worship that is acceptable, acceptable and holy and pleasing to God will be beautiful. Will be that eternal gift. It'll be that treasure that's stored up in heaven. The author of Hebrews is saying, since you've got this mountain to come to, it's gratitude and worship that God wants. You know, it's passages like this that motivated Piper to write the book that he did, desiring God, living the life of a Christian hedonist. That the idea is that, guess what? We should be people of the greatest joy on their earth because of what Jesus has brought us to through himself. To be gratitude, grateful worshipers of God. That doesn't mean void of suffering. That doesn't mean void of pain. But it's in the midst of all of those things, being able to see Jesus. And know our Savior and our God takes us through these things so that we might know him. So that the other junk of this world would be thrown off and the sin that is entangling us would stop tripping us up. So we talk about joy, but not just a, a joy that is meant for this time of year, but a perpetual joy of all year long. And I think the more that we understand, especially chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews, the more we see what God is taking us through is God's discipline and God's instruction in our life and loving that and cherishing that, our joy will increase. Because we'll be able to see God in ways that we've never known him before. And instead of blaming God for something or instead of blaming others for something, we're going to rejoice that thank you, God. As Paul said, thank you, God, so much that you... You saw fit for me to suffer for you. That's the kind of joy that Scripture is talking about here. That is the right response to being brought to this mountain of joy. It's gratitude and rightful worship. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, may we respond rightly. May we respond appropriately to the incredible gift of joy that you have given to us 
through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we who were once a pe- not a people, not part of a family, once enemies with God, we're now family with God. We're now children of the Almighty King. We once feared your judgment because you were going to sentence us to hell. Now we celebrate you as the righteous and perfect judge who will rightly judge us and who will rightly judge the world. We celebrate Jesus Christ, the greatest mediator of all time, who declares us righteous before our God. The the souls of the saints have been perfected because we have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, a blood that says justice has been met, the wrath of God has been met in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Thank you, God. And I pray that the joy that flows from knowing this truth would fill our hearts, not just this season, but continually throughout this year. For you are our great, glorious, and good God. And we thank you so much that in the midst of pain, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of this world, which is not our home, we can have joy and know it in amazing, abundant ways because of Jesus Christ. I do just want to lift up all those in our church body who have lost spouses in this time of year. And I pray, Lord God, that your joy would just overflow in their hearts. And the Holy Spirit would fill them. And they would feel, they would be able to tangibly just feel the power of God. during this time. Though it's an exciting time of the season, there are a lot of those around us that are shedding tears and hurting. And may the joy of this church family overflow to them. In Jesus' name we pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, this is our God story time. If you're visiting with us, we, we, we intentionally take time to tell stories of God being our hero this week. Um, do, does Ethan get to share it himself or do we get to share it? Do I get to share it? Oh, I was going to share it for him. You, you want to share it for him? I'll do it. Okay. So we got a cool God story to share with you. This happened this week. So Ethan, our eldest son, gave us a phone call. Um, and it, as you're getting ready... He's a junior going into his uh, second semester of his junior year, and he's starting to get a little nervous about the whole job thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of us who've gone to college kind of and, and, and graduating from high school, thinking about jobs, we get that. Well, uh, so Ethan uh, has been trying to look at getting an internship at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, which is just about three hours south of Detroit. And uh, we, when we went back to do this wedding for Christie's half-brother, um, Back in uh, September, October, October, we ran into family we haven't seen in 19 years. Well, one of them was Matt. Matt's a retired lieutenant colonel from the Air Force. And I started telling Matt about Ethan's story. Well, Matt then um, says, well, have Ethan call me. And so Ethan calls him up, talks to Matt. And Matt calls over to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, calls the lieutenant colonel who's in charge of recruiting at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And on Monday, Ethan got a phone call from Wright-Patterson Air Force Base recruiter and interviewed him on the phone and he's been accepted for an internship starting this summer. Well, that's good, right? And then God just loves to show off. 
And so Ethan then says, well, that's not it, Dad. I'm like, well, what else is going on? And Christy and I were on speakerphone with him, and he goes, well, I'm also going to have a job starting as soon as I graduate. And I'll have a job there for 15 months. And I'm like, well, what's going to happen at the end of 15 months? Well, then they're going to send me to get my master's degree and pay for that. And they're going to give me, pay me my full salary and full benefits while I go get my master's degree. And we're like, are you kidding me? And, he, and I was like, well, what's the application process? He goes, well, the phone interview was the application. He goes, all I got to do is send in my transcripts. I mean, <clears throat> so... Yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, pretty excited, and you know, it's just really exciting to see God working in his life, um, um, as he has been really faithful, and he's chosen not to do some things so that he can stay in ministry with crew. Um, he's led worship with crew at, um, at University of Idaho, and so it's been really great to, to see God work through that. So who else has got a story this morning? All right, John. way up Lake in Manson, um, and uh, I stopped in at the lumber store there, and as I was walking up to the front door, something caught my eye on the ground, and as I was walking by, and it was kind of in muddy, you know, and I, I don't want to pick that up. What, what is it? And I, so I picked it up. It was a, a wedding band, oh. and a wedding band, it was a man's wedding band, and that that, ref- that symbolizes our covenant relationship with our wife before God. And I was shocked when I realized what I was holding in my hand, that it was a man's symbol to his wife before God. So I walked in the store and I set it on the counter and I said, I just found this right out the door. And then I just felt a sense of, no, leave a, a note with your name and number and take the ring. So I did that, and it compelled me to start praying for the man who owned that ring and for his marriage. And, and I was just asking God, Lord, give me the opportunity. I don't know how this can happen, because usually you don't know where you've lost something. And I don't know how this is going to get back to the man, but it's important that he knows that you're in this with him. And by the time I drove back home, pulled in the driveway, just as I was pulling in the driveway, my phone rang. And it was the man, and he said, I understand you found a ring, and it's my, it's my wedding ring, and my wife is going to kill me if I don't get that back on my finger. So he asked where I was at. Um, we, we arranged... Uh, he came by the next morning, and I, at that, I could hardly stand. I was so ecstatic. I'm just praising God and saying, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord. Over the phone to this guy I don't know. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm really thankful. My wife's not going to kill me. And, and so he gets there the next morning, and I, and I open the door, and I'm, again, I'm saying, I am just so thrilled because I was praying for you, and I was praying for your marriage. And I'm so happy to be able to give you this ring back. And so you'd think at that point there'd be the gospel message and the man would fall on his knees and accept <laughs> Jesus Christ. And No, he took a couple of steps back and he thanked me for giving him his ring back. And, um, and that was it. And then he just wanted to be away from me. But what I sensed was God was, the joy of the Lord was in my heart to be able to do this uh, and it was something that God was showing me, but it was also a, 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 on a multitude of levels. It may be that God's working on that man's heart, and I didn't have to see the end result. I may see the end result when we're all standing in eternity and the man comes up to me and thanks me at that point in time for praying for him. So I just encourage you, you know, I, it, what started out is I don't want to put my hand down in the mud turned into a pretty amazing, awesome story of God having a plan and a purpose and just being, fitting into that purpose um, in that moment. Mm-hmm. 
You know me. Okay, everybody. I love you all. I keep telling you. It's been a little over a year since God took Bill home to be with him. And the things that has happened in my life has been so good. I had to cry out to Jesus and just let him have my whole life. I still have days when I have to remind myself, do it again, Lois. But I want to say Merry Christmas to all you people here. I will be going to Tammy's on Friday. I reminded Scott this morning, last year I had to go because I promised I would go stay about three days with my daughter. <coughs> and God has healed that relationship mm. so much this year. I went for Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to Christmas. And just stand on the fact that Jesus knows the end picture here. And I'm excited to know that one day he's just going to come and get me out of here. <laughs> so I love you all. Have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Scott, I've got a little God story I'd like to tell. It's an old one. It's a, but you triggered the memory when you talked about um, being in the Rockies or in the mountains um, in a storm. So when we were kids, our grandparents had a cabin on Lake Hebgen outside of West Yellowstone, Montana. And it's about 6,700 feet. And we got those storms coming through. And we'd have the lightning and all those. So this one day, it was probably August, uh, probably 1958 or something, and um, uh, the, the storm started. We heard the thunder off in the distance, and then the hail came, and the, white was the ground was turning white with hail. So my cousin and I decided this would be a good time to go out and grab the metal garbage can lids and run around with them over our heads as shields. And, and uh, because that was, you know, keeping the uh, hail off of us. So our grandmother saw this, and she came out and she said, You idiots! Put those away and get in the house. Well, she always called us her lambs. So we came running into the house, and, I was, and she continued to dress us down a little bit as we came in. And I was kind of, oh boy, I don't know, why is she doing And at that moment, the lightning hit in the lake out in front of the cabin. So you saw the flash... You heard the sound, you felt this crash, and you smelled this ozone all at the same time. And it was at that moment I realized, ooh, Grandma knows what she's talking about. <laughs> and she doesn't hate me, she loves me. Yeah. 